Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Also, please be advised that the sound bites you'll hear from Dr. Richard Stone, I was granted permission to use from administrative personnel at the VA in Washington. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Coming up will be a Kelson on the Air social work podcast special series entitled Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. Over the next several weeks, you will hear from social workers from all over the country share their stories and their experiences battling and dealing with this devastating pandemic. It is my greatest wish that these stories will garner a new level of appreciation for the vitally important role that social workers play in confronting the challenges, heartbreak, and tragedies this coronavirus is wreaking on all of us. Social workers are there for everyone right now as they are always. To open up this series, please hear this profound message from Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge of the Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Following that, you'll hear from Dr. Veronica Hardy, LCSW. She is a writer and full professor at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke School of Social Work. Please listen, learn, and be inspired. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I want to talk to you about our social work community. You know, social workers are always there. They're always part of our team, and they're always interacting with our patients for various specific needs. But now with social isolation, uh, people, uh, people have need social workers for the first time. And our social workers, for the most part, have worked face-to-face with our patients and their families. Now they can't do that. It's very difficult work. And it's unprecedented, the level of support we've gotten from our social works community. I want you to think about how much financial instability has uh has been induced during all of this shutdown. Uh, People are worried about money, people are worried about their jobs, people are worried about each other. And it's our social workers who are the glue that holds this together. And in any really good healthcare system, the social workers are out in front trying to make sure families are well taken care of and all of the unique needs that are not met by our medical professionals are really handled by the social work community. So today I'd like you to take a minute and just thank your social workers that are part of your team and recognize how much extraordinary work they've been able to accomplish throughout this pandemic. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another segment of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast Special Edition, Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. We have another special guest today, Dr. Veronica Hardy. She was raised in Pennsylvania. Dr. Hardy is a licensed clinical social worker, writer, and a full professor at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. She earned her Ph.D. from Regent University School of Psychology and Counseling and a graduate of the MSW program at Westchester University of Pennsylvania. 
Throughout her career, she has provided services and settings, including residential treatment facilities and maintained a private counseling practice and served as a faculty member in various social work and counseling programs. It is my distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to this special segment, Dr. Veronica Hardy. Welcome and thank you so much, Dr. Hardy, for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Okay. So uh, I gave a, a couple of bullet points of your uh, background and your experience. So tell our listeners a little more about yourself, including your experience, education, and promotions and things of that sort. Like you mentioned, I have my MSW degree and then also my PhD in counselor education and supervision. A current focus that I have is regarding human trafficking awareness and also spirituality and identity. And I currently teach at UNC Pembroke, primarily in our master's program, which I truly enjoy. Now, is that um, part of the, uh, the Law University of North Carolina? Is that one of the schools within that university? Yes, it is. It's one of the schools within the UNC system. Oh, okay. All right. So today's topic mostly is going to be about highlighting the important role social work educators are fulfilling in the fight against COVID-19. So with that said, what I would like to do is just kind of ask you first and foremost to tell our listeners how you've seen the COVID-19 pandemic affect social work education since it became classified as a worldwide pandemic? Well, I'll say a few of the classes I was teaching this semester focused on field instruction. So one of the classes I had was a field seminar class. Another class I had had to had to focus on management and social work practice. So they had tasks they had to fulfill at their field site as well. So we went on spring break in March and basically we never returned to campus after that. Um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So basic students had to learn how to engage in their field practicum remotely. So that was a significant change for them, as well as fully engaging in their classes through online methods. In addition, the faculty had to work remotely as well. Mm-hmm. So all that was, again, a, a sporadic and powerful change, I think, both for the students and the faculty. Yes, yes. How did you find the students being able to adapt to that different new normal? There were students who definitely had concerns, um, really working to try to understand how are they going to deliver services to their clients through remote methods or virtual methods, in addition to attaining the number of hours needed to achieve their education. Because all of my students in my class they were scheduled to graduate this semester. And um, in addition to balancing their online courses, and I always say we often have to remember that our students have their lives too. So many of them have children and families where the children were also staying home. So they became teachers to their children as well. Absolutely. So their whole world had shifted mm-hmm. and they were working to balance all of these facets at the same time. And one of the other things that you had mentioned was um, that you are, one of your areas of focus is spirituality. Have you seen that play a more prominent role since the uh, onset of the COVID-19 pandemic? I would say so, definitely. I would think more in regards to whether it's the grieving process, because we have people who have experienced multiple losses 
or have known those who have experienced types of losses. So to not be able to grieve in ways that are consistent with our spirituality, that's been a major challenge, I have noticed. And not being able to attend wherever your faith-based institution might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and also working to understand the reasons behind why this is happening. Yes, absolutely. Very powerful point. One of the things that, you know, in social work in the last 15 to 20 years, even to a greater degree, is that they've taken into consideration the whole role that spirituality plays in working with persons in their environment. And so I think it's very interesting that that now that, that people have been prevented from worshiping and practicing their spirituality in ways that are very comforting to them, that becomes another issue that social workers have to deal with to try to help them get through that because a lot of people do lean very strongly on their faith and their spirituality and religious beliefs and things of that sort. So with students, were there any students who you experienced were questioning how they could address those issues if they were working and how do they do that if they're doing it remotely? I mean, as far as with the client. Mm-hmm. I think many of the students, the populations that they provided services to were people who were experiencing domestic violence or people who were at risk for homelessness. Mm-hmm. So I think the strength of the students were that they realized that certain of these issues would intensify because of COVID-19 and the stay-at-home orders as well. And there were fears that there would be a disconnect from being able to provide services to the clients. But what I found is the students and the agencies that they were at, which I think all the agencies did a fantastic job, um, were able to create virtual ways Mm. to be able to respond to our clients. I see. And what about methods for effectively implementing technology to provide quality social work education? Because like you said, everything had to pivot. The students all of a sudden started doing online schooling. Um, now if they were doing uh, you know, practicums, that had to become online-based and focused. How was the methodology adapted to be able to address those areas? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the program that I teach for, it's not completely online, but we did have online courses. So students had a familiarity with that. And the teaching platform that we use is called Canvas. So all of our courses transitioned over to Canvas. I think the the main course that may have presented a challenge, so we thought, was the field seminar and their field practicum. Mm -hmm. And again, with the strength of the agencies and the supervisors there, they were well able to coordinate a proper learning experience for the students. For example, we organized trainings that the students could attend. Uh, several students who were working remotely in regards to their field practicum, some became coaches at their agencies, meaning they developed workshops and online trainings for clients in response to COVID-19. So the clients could learn safety techniques or how to tutor their children at home. So again, the students were able to determine ways to respond to their clients' needs. And what I could see was the connections between their learning in the classroom and how they were applying it because they have had group facilitation courses. They've had other uh, management type courses as well. So they were able to apply those skills within those field environments. So what I really liked is they were able to transition what they learned face-to-face and in the online components of their classes 
to their remote work for their field placement. Very interesting. One of the things that I wanted you to kind of highlight, uh, Dr. Hardy, is you have a lot of experience and one of your areas of focus is human trafficking awareness. Can you talk about the connection between that and COVID-19? Because I've been hearing a lot of stories from all over the country that human trafficking is, you know, ratcheted up, you know, several notches because of people having to shelter in place and quarantines. So can you talk a little bit about your experience working with human trafficking awareness and the connection or the relation to COVID-19? Sure. Um, In regards to human trafficking awareness, I think I've been providing presentations since about 2011. Mm -hmm. It basically came out of when I was teaching the African-American population's elective course at UNC Pembroke. And as I was gathering information for that course, I came across the topic of human trafficking. So I thought to integrate it into the course and then to start providing awareness presentations within my community and at social service agencies. So again, now we're in 2020 and that's something that I'm still doing. Mm -hmm. Awareness is key in this. Um, Of course, because it's such a hidden crime, we don't have strong figures regarding this, but I liken it to we're hearing about child abuse cases possibly increasing because of COVID-19 and the stay-at-home orders. We're hearing about domestic violence increasing, and human trafficking intersects with both of those. Absolutely. Um, There are people who have experienced forms of domestic violence because of the partners that they're with, but some of that is connected to being sex trafficked. So we're thinking if domestic violence rates may be increasing or affected by the stay-at-home orders, there can be consistency with the human trafficking as well. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in regards to the child abuse. So again, because it comes back to it's such a hidden crime and we don't have the numbers, again, people don't know what to look for or necessarily what it looks like. But again, like you mentioned, because there is a stay-at-home order, there could be that increase taking place, but we may not be aware right. of it and the and the extremes that it's taken right now. Right. So in in the in the cases of that you may have some kind of idea that there may be some human trafficking or sex trafficking are there any interventions that have been needed to be put into place if there was a suspicion of human trafficking is there anything you can address speak about to address that issue I think one of the strongest interventions is is the point of assessment where we're collecting information mm-hmm. um so just like with child abuse, those types of evaluations take place. So whoever is conducting the assessments, being able to integrate questions that would help to kind of weed out is human trafficking or child sex trafficking taking place. Um, if someone in the community has a concern, definitely they can contact their police stations or there's also our national human trafficking hotline, which is monitored by an organization called Polaris Project. And I think those are some steps that someone could take. Definitely, if it's a community member, we always want to pay attention to is there a significant change to a house or the activity going in and out of that house within our community, kind of paying attention to significant types of changes Mm -hmm. and, and being able to assess that and then determining is this something that's reportable? Do we need to get someone else into that house to evaluate this? Hi, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. I'm the host of the Kelson on the Air social work podcast, heard and hosted right here on Anchor FM, and I love it. Try it and you'll love it too. And here's why. First, you get an RSS feed 
which is absolutely critical for distribution of your podcast. Your show will be distributed and heard on seven additional podcast platforms besides Anchor. Platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much, much more. And get this, they even offer analytics so that you can see how well your podcast is doing. And as if that weren't enough, they also give you a breakdown of what each chart or graph means. In addition to that, when you host your podcast on Anchor, you get international exposure. That's right. Your podcast is heard in different countries around the globe. And just so you know that they're really in your corner, they provide you with info about sponsorship opportunities as well. So for secure services for your podcast, make sure to use your Anchor Podcasting Services. The other thing that I think is really important is that with the onset of you know COVID-19, surely a lot more difficult to be able to uncover those um, types of uh, clues because if you're not doing a face-to-face, it's a little more difficult. Somebody might be in the background, like orchestrating what's said or, you know, the uh, the victim might be afraid to really answer questions um, because they're in such close proximity of their abuser or their trafficker. You know, do you have any interventions that possibly give a, you know, a person that's being trafficked, uh, you know, a, a subtle way to, to give clue? Now, that's the challenge in part, because, again, like you said, the person's in a place of, of danger mm-hmm. or, or feeling unsafe, so they might not immediately feel comfortable giving a type of clue. But I like how you mentioned that there's could be somebody there monitoring their words and their behaviors, et cetera. And part of what I would speak about when I did the trainings and the awareness was in regards to medical professionals being frontline professionals for this, because many of the people who are trafficked may experience certain types of injuries or illness, especially in regards to sex trafficking. So they might end up at the hospital, but their trafficker could be there with them. So paying attention to if the person's not answering questions on their own, someone else is answering the questions for them, or the person is looking to someone else before they give some type of response. So being able to tune into those types of behaviors, those those pauses that really say something. That's a great point. That's a great point. Now, also, you have an initiative called Empowering Women. Tell our listeners a little bit about that and uh, maybe you know if you could just kind of address what some of the things that your initiative has needed to change to provide you know better services or outreach you know since the uh, pandemic was declared Mm -hmm. so i focus a lot on women's empowerment and each year i I would have an event called there's power in our voices Mm -hmm. and i would have different speakers come out and share their very personal stories but how they also gain strength through those stories and those experiences and of course transitioning our stories to other people empowers the person sitting in front of us One, because they learn that they're not alone, and two, because they're learning about other ways to cope with their situations. And kind of an offshoot of that, I published a a workbook-style tool that is called A Letter to My Sisters Reflecting on God's Promises. Mm -hmm. And that was another tool that I was using to basically empower women, and it uses biblically base reflections and has nine stories, basically experiences that women tend to go through. Mm-hmm. Again, because of COVID-19, a lot of the speaking events and workshops have been canceled. 
because we can't can't be in congregate environments. Right. Um, so me and some of the people that I was basically coordinating with were considering how we can do these workshops in more virtual environments. Mm-hmm. So we are in those types of planning phases right now. But mostly I'm just using social media uh-huh. to to post information to share with other people. Okay. All right. So um, your your organization, pretty much like most organizations now, trying to you know pivot and and readapt and reinvent themselves through Zoom and uh, you know Facebook Live and things of that sort of nature. Do you do you find that that you can still be effective, especially since there's so much need in the communities and out in society um, with the pandemic? Do you find that you can have the same amount of effectiveness as you normally would, or you, do you find it more challenging? Or do you find more need in the people because they can't do the face-to-face? Yeah, I think it can have the same level of effectiveness. But what happens is I think it's only going to reach certain types of populations or individuals, meaning it may only reach people who are on social media, but not all the other people who are not on social media. And I think that's what I was able to do before. Through word of mouth, it would spread Mm -hmm. if an event was happening and various people in the community who were not connected to social media could come out. So again, I think it can can have a strong level of effectiveness, but I also think uh, a certain segment of the population is going to, is going to be cut out from it. Yes, I agree. One thing I think is really encouraging is that, you know, the millennials or the younger generation, they're so social media savvy, be a lot easier for them to adapt to doing things in what might become uh, a new normal so that they learn to use their engagement skills that they learn in social work school and adapt that to being able to portray that, you know, over, you know, social media or virtually or through video chats. I think they have a a big advantage over most of the population because they're kind of like, that's their second nature anyway. So that being said, their experience is transitioning completely online and using uh, remote technologies. Do you find that they were trying to be more connected with their clients because they were losing that personal touch? I think so, because I, I have a, a one of my students. They began using Zoom. They began using email. So they were using various methods they may have learned through the, their educational environment and I say oftentimes when we're in the face-to-face environment, I often promote self-care. So I could picture my students when they were at their field agencies, if they felt a point of stress or a crisis was taking place, they had a coworker who they could turn to who would be right there in the office next door. But then when they started working remotely, they're at home. And what if they were having a conversation with a client who may have been in crisis or having a point of difficulty? They might not have been able to turn to someone right there. But the other strength is they'd be able to call or Zoom with the supervisor to be able to process afterwards. So I think through all of this, I think the students may have experienced some challenges or found it to be challenging. But at the same time, I thought it may have strengthened them Mm -hmm. for this for this major shift in social work. I see. So we get ready to kind of, you know, bring this to a conclusion. One question I'd like to ask you is, Dr. Hardy, how do you see this 
pandemic affecting society going forward? And what role do you see the social work profession and the social work community playing after this? I don't know if you could say is over or goes back to whatever normal is going to be. So what effect do you see this having on society as a whole is part one. And part two is how do you see the social work profession adapting to or what do you think their role will be? Because a lot of conversation now is like the the aftermath is going to be a lot more challenging in a lot of ways than we are you know dealing with right now yes i'm seeing all of us learning to to live with this in a way we're often hearing this phrase called the new normal yes but i think we really need to understand what that means for because all of our lives are different we all have various intersections that we're living in our lives so the new normal for one person is not the new normal for the, the other person their life becomes can become a lot more difficult. So I think we'll need to understand, again, the uniqueness of each individual and what this means for each person. So again, what is it going to look like living with this? The fears, the grieving, the being able to return to work or who's, who's able to return to work because there's been multiple job losses. Yes. I'm told certain universities have closed already, et cetera. So there are a lot of major changes that have happened. So again, I think it's still going to take that time to figure out how it has affected everyone's lives on an individual basis. And I think as far as social work practice, I think this has brought a a stronger lens on social work. You know, what can it look like? Mm. And social work, part of our role is to respond to crises. So this is another major crisis that we are responding to. And as far as social work education, I think our minds are really starting to shift regarding what that looks like, especially in regards to field practicum. And just to use my university, for example, we're primarily in a rural community. So in rural communities, you think outside of the box and you think creatively on how to provide services because you're not always able to get to your client or your client may not always be able to get to you for some reason. And not all clients will have technology. So Thinking outside of the box is definitely a strength during this time period in responding to COVID-19. And my hope is in regards to social work education and with thinking about field placement, that we will continue exploring how to provide online services. Because to me, this was already the path to the future, how to provide more online services as well as online course delivery in addition to the traditional face-to-face services and traditional face-to-face courses. So that's my, that's what I think may be coming down the line. Okay. All right. Very well put. Very well put. So um, just before we close, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners if, you know, they'd like to reach out and find out more about your work that you do with Empowering Women, um, your website, you know, and any contact information you'd like to share. And then just maybe leave our listeners with just a closing thought. So my website is drveronicahardy.com. And also, if someone wanted to reach me, I often say the best way is through email, and it's drdr.veronicahardy at gmail.com. So definitely a closing thought. My hope is that people will be able to take away what are the changes you see coming with the social work profession and social work education? And what are some creative ways that we can transition our services in such ways to respond to this crisis and also how to respond to our clients' needs and at the same time how to 
take care of ourselves and check in with one another as social workers. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for us here on this special edition of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. Uh, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. And we've been talking with our special guest, Dr. Veronica Hardy. Um, she's given us some very wonderful insights and information. And thank you so much for joining us today on this special segment, Dr. Hardy. And uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you and take care. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.